My argument would be that the goal and the purpose of the church is not to preserve American identity as much as it is to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've just joined the discussion on life, ministry, and leadership. In this episode, we discuss politics in the pulpit. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Brian Sams Podcast. This is your host, Brian Sams. And man, I'm excited today because I am joined once again by my friend Aaron Chan. Aaron, welcome back to the Brian Sams Podcast. It's been great. You know, I I mean, it's almost like our little tandem got broken up for the summer. Yeah, it's like those bicycles, you know. I got split off from your bicycle, so you're riding off. Yeah, and you know what happens when that happens. The the, the little sidecar just (laughs) kind of fumbles out. But I don't want anybody to worry. I mean, Aaron and I are tight, and I've been looking forward to getting Aaron back on the show because Aaron's my favorite sidekick. And my producer, Jason, over here, he's... He's phenomenal, too. But there's nothing quite like having a conversation with Aaron Chan. I mean, if you've not had a conversation, uh, uh, at least a controversial conversation sure. with Aaron Chan. <laughs> and speaking of controversial conversations, man, man I kind of had a little fire this week on Twitter. So why don't you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, if you, I mean, of course, everybody knows that if you ever want to raise your blood pressure, you just you just click Twitter open and you just start scrolling for a few minutes and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, in the independent Baptist world, oh, yeah. there's a few trigger points. Yes, I mean we we found out to be yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. King give James. me give me one. Tr- oh yeah, yeah. King James. Yeah. yeah, if you want to trigger trigger off, I mean, uh, you know, just mention something about the King James. What yeah. what are, what other things are trigger points? Uh, uh, oh, should I name names? Yeah, or, sure. Okay, sword sword of the Lord conference. Oh man, you start talking about the sword. Yeah, you're gonna get lit up for sure, and then. The one we're going to talk about today becomes a real fire starter too, doesn't it? Yes, patriotism. Patriotism in America. And it's almost like what we think of in our Baptist churches is that Christianity is synonymous with America and patriotism. Yeah. And and so, Aaron, why don't you just talk about, share a little bit about the tweet. Let's get into this about what happened, because I told some people on Twitter I was going to answer this on, on our podcast. Yeah, sure. So I think it was like uh, two days ago from mm-hmm. what time we were recording this. I think you tweeted, uh, I've got it pulled up here. Quote, kind of grieved to see so many pastors directing their sermons to topics of America, religious freedom, and anti-socialism. I'm just going to keep preaching Christ. He's always the answer. Yes. And boy, I, I mean, I'm not like I don't have a million followers, but for my constituency of five or 6,000 followers, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like 5,000 maybe. Um, and my little world that I live in, to have 100 or 150 likes and multiple comments means that that hit some nerves and and it got a lot of likes and a lot of the likes came from young pastors that are gospel centered and looking to have a more biblical ministry a lot of the negative came from you know more traditional independent baptist people and it even got some feedback and I told the men that, that gave me some what appeared to be negative feedback that I was going to address it on this subject so what I want to do first Aaron is I want to define the tweet because I, I think it got misrepresented a little mm-hmm. bit so let me read it again I was grieved to see so many pastors directing their sermon to topics of America, religious freedom, and anti-socialism. So what I'm saying is I found on Twitter that Sunday, which was October 4th, I think I even, the tweet was on October 4th, so it was maybe Sunday evening sometimes, Sunday afternoon, and I was scrolling through Twitter, just relaxing in my chair, and I noticed all of these sometimes big name Southern Baptist pastors or mm-hmm. independent Baptist pastors. I mean, they were just talking about this. And let me give you some example. One pastor, very prominent pastor, 
What does the Bible say about socialism? Sunday morning sermon. Another pastor, seven questions the church in America must answer. Will we engage or not for the sake of freedom, religious liberty, or, or and our nation, we better? Mm-hmm. And then another very prominent pastor, America is a Christian nation. These were the sermon topics. Okay, so meaning what they preached about, the substance of the sermon for that day was this. And it does grieve me. Mm-hmm. Let me define these words, okay? America slash patriotism. What is, what is patriotism? Well, patriotism is devotion to and vigorous support of one's country. It's a feeling of attachment and commitment to a country, nation, or political community or identity. So that's what patriotism is. I love America. Mm-hmm. I am attached to America. I'm committed to America. I, I believe in the political structure of America. Okay. Socialism. What is essentially socialism? What's any, any of various economic political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods? Essentially, it is a society where there is no private property or no privatized medicine, or we could go on and on. It's a system or condition of a society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. So, obviously, America is not socialist. Right. Because we are a capitalist, we believe in freedom of enterprise, exercise and speech. And, uh, socialism is more the government controls medicine, the government controls business, the government controls you know, social media, and all these sorts of things. Okay, okay, fine. Um, I don't like socialism. All right. Religious freedom. What is religious freedom? It's one of the most fundamental human freedoms that ensures the ability of people to believe, worship, and follow their faith without banishment from the government. We are passionate about freedom of speech or religious freedom because it's based on the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, which says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Well, that is in our First Amendment uh, to the Constitution, basically saying we should have religious freedom. So, so let me just repeat these. To be a patriot, to be believe in religious freedom, and to believe in anti-socialism, these are American ideals, okay? My argument would be that the goal and the purpose of the church is not to preserve American identity as much as it is to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, and, and so... Is there, is there anything wrong with patriotism? No. Do I love America? Absolutely. I don't want to live in Iraq. Um, do I love socialism? I mean, am I anti-socialist? Of course I am. I believe, I believe that you should work for your um, living and all those sort of things. And I believe in religious freedom. Okay, I don't want people taking away my religious freedom. However, the world and Christianity can thrive without patriotism, can thrive in socialism, and can thrive and probably has thrived more in, without religious freedom than it ever did yeah. with it. And so I want to make some comments here, Aaron, at the beginning of this as we kind of dive in. I want to say that some of the challenges I think that come from this is that people think that the church must have a voice um, in the world of the government, and they they basically attach maybe Daniel. You know, Daniel was mentioned in the comments. I'm not going to deny that at all. Daniel was involved in politics. They'll say things like, "Well, God established government." There's absolutely no question about that. I want to give you 
four statements here, Aaron, as we get started about what the what does the Bible actually say about our responsibility to government? Mm-hmm. Okay, number one, we are to obey the ordinances of the government. Romans 13 is clear. Yeah. And I think sometimes guys don't understand it. This was given by Paul to the church at Rome under the reign of Nero, people. This was not Donald Trump. Uh, honest, honestly, um, you know, Nero made Barack Obama look like, you know, a Baptist pastor. Yeah. Okay, Nero was evil and there was no there was no such thing as democracy and freedom of speech. This was all out persecution. And what did God say? Honor the king. Honor the king. Obey the government. If they have a regulation, do it. Okay? Number two, we're to pray for those in leadership of the government. First Timothy chapter two. Everybody knows that's no question about that. Third thing I would say is this. We are to obey God rather than men when government commands us to do something contrary to God's word. Like in Acts chapter five is the classic example. That would be that the apostles were told not to preach the gospel, which God had already told them to do. So to not do what God told you to do would be disobeying God. So in that case, they did what we call civil disobedience, which is a failure to comply with a certain law or pay taxes and fines as a peaceful form of political protest. To continue to preach the gospel without being violent would be an acceptable form of civil disobedience if the government ever said you cannot preach the gospel. Yeah. Okay, but let me ask you a question, Aaron. Where in the Bible, okay, does the Bible call for patriotism? Okay, where does the Bible speak out against a government of socialism? I think there are principles of if you don't work, you don't eat, okay? Mm-hmm. But that, yeah. I don't think that talks about a government system. Uh, where does the Bible talk about the believer's fundamental right to have religious freedom? I don't think it even mentions it. Uh It doesn't mention it. And see, here's the problem with this firestorm that was started. The firestorm was that we were supposed to use our pulpit to speak about the things I was grieved that were spoken against. I mean, one guy even said, well, I spoke on both on Sunday. Well, that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's fine. That doesn't mean that you were supposed to. Even if you were allowed to, did you have to or or should you have? Yeah. Because the question that I'm going to bring up is what are we supposed to be preaching and teaching in the New Testament church. I'll get to that in just a minute. The only other thing I see relevant to government or in the Bible is that there were times where God allowed a Christian or a follower of of the true and living God to be influential in the government. And the best case of that would be Daniel. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, it means that Christians have a precedent of being involved in high forms of government. You can't, and you can't ignore the surrounding story about Daniel, too, because remember where Daniel came from. They captured him. They, uh, they took him away from his family, and they basically took away his freedom first. Right. Only then he could say, okay, now I have a role in government. And it's not like Daniel ran for office. Yeah. Okay, it's not like, you know, Daniel for Congress. That did not happen. Daniel was forced into this. Mm-hmm. And basically became salt and light in his place. Now, I'm thankful that our vice president of the United States currently is an outspoken follower of Jesus Christ. And, hey, if you're listening to this and God wants you to be involved in the political process, get involved. That's awesome. We need Daniels out there. That's not the question, though, Aaron. The question is not, are there Christians involved in politics? Or even this, should Christians be involved in politics? Yes, I just gave you all the ways in which we should be. Mm -hmm. 
And should Christians steward their responsibility to vote? Sure, they should. And should Christians vote and support biblical ideology? Yes. Absolutely. That's not the question, guys. Everybody that's getting hot under the collar about this, just settle down a little bit. Let me just be square with you. Here's the deal, guys. That's not the question. The question is, should my pulpit, should the local church, should the pastor's preaching and teaching be filled with anti-socialism, patriotism, and freedom of speech and freedom of religion? And I say no. And let me give you three, four reasons why. Okay, One, our text is the Word of God. Guys, we're to be preaching the Word. Paul said, I will not make anything known to you save Jesus Christ. And you say, and this, you know, one guy, uh, let me pull this one up. This one guy said, I'm kind of getting out of order here a little bit, Aaron, but I'm, I'm trying to go as fast as I can here. Uh, one guy says, America is morally bankrupt, but Christ can make us free. Religious freedom is under attack, but Christ can make us free. Socialism hinders the gospel, which is not even true, but Christ makes us free. Can you tell me, sir, whoever put this up here, I'm not going to name your name on the air. Can you tell me anywhere in the world where communism and socialism has actually hindered the gospel? Where's the gospel thriving right now the most? Aaron, where's it thriving right now? I would guess probably China. China and the Middle East, where it is the most oppressed and crushed. Uh, The gospel seed sprouted in the blood of the martyrs. Has anybody read their Bible or anybody read church history? Mm -hmm. Look, the gospel has never thrived. In fact, fact, freedom of speech and freedom in America has made us worthless Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. You know, people people talk about well, that led to the this led to the revolution. So, you are you trying to tell me that America somehow surged in the early days as the leading gospel propagation, and that England was not? Well, Aaron, I mean, what about what about David Livingston? Yeah, British uh, missionary. Okay, was he before or after the revolution? He was after. Okay, what about William Carey? Before or after the revolution? After. Okay, yeah. so 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 America pulls away from England in the revolution, becomes this free country. Well, somehow. Britain was still sending gospel preaching missionaries. Does anybody want to say that England was not the leading missionary sending agency in the 1800s before Adoniram Judson was like the first one? Or George Lyle probably more technically yeah. to uh, to Jamaica from, from the fields of, of slavery. But the point I'm making is this. There was no direct correlation between freedom of speech and patriotism and America's supremacy and the gospel going forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. In fact... In fact, now, per capita, we're starting to look like a joke to the world when it comes to preaching the gospel in strong and healthy churches. And we're not, I mean, you know, half the people that are talking about all this America, America, America. What about people getting baptized and saved and added to your church and and, and so on and so forth? I think we're making a, a jump here. Besides the fact that the text of our messages is the word of God. And you see, frankly, very little about politics like this. And in some cases, none. So for me to preach on these none subjects means that I have taken Jesus off the throne and I put America on the throne of my pulpit. And you'll never catch me doing that unless I can do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, number two. Here's the other thing. The Bible speaks to both sides of the political persuasion. For instance, is the Bible conservative? Absolutely. Is the Bible would the Bible support life? Would the Bible be against abortion? Absolutely. Would the Bible be against um, or for you know what what else like traditional human, marriage, human trafficking, human trafficking, traditional yeah, marriage? Traditional marriage. The, the Bible would be for that. Okay. Some people would even some people would even say that the ideals of capitalism and anti-socialism might in seed form be there, and that's arguable. Mm-hmm. But how about this? How about justice? How about oppression? How about racism? How about 
Um, how about treatment of immigrants, poor people? All those things are dealt with in the Bible. In fact, Jesus seemed, and I just preached on this Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 last week in church. Jesus seemed to almost kind of like be on the side of that. Yeah. But politically speaking, you tend to find Republicans and conservatives more on what we call social, traditional social values, abortion and marriage seem to be the two that, the only two that matter. <laughs> and I'm for them. I am against abortion. I'm against gay marriage. I'm against abortion. I'm against gay marriage. So don't misquote me. Mm-hmm. But I'm also against oppression of the poor. I'm against just I'm against racial inequality and so on and so forth. So the point is, if you really preach the Bible, sometimes people are going to think you're a radical conservative Republican. And if you preach the Bible, sometimes people are going to think that you're a Democrat liberal. It's not about America. It's not about politics. It's about being scriptural. And then finally, we must never dilute the message of the gospel. For crying out loud, people, are you... What, okay, why would I preach on America on Sunday morning when my responsibility is to preach the gospel. And I never want anybody to think that the goal of sanctification or the goal of uh, being a disciple is that you will become a conservative Republican. Furthermore, I do not want to separate um, what it means being a disciple of Christ from what it would look like for you to stand on social issues. We call that discipleship. Yeah. But if I just come in on Sunday morning, I'm just blasting about these particular issues without the grounding and the leading and the guiding and the directing of discipleship, then I might be putting somebody with a cart before the horse. It's kind of like the old dress standard. Some people might be tempted to think that if you are a real disciple, you dress a certain way. And they've they've, they've kind of made it a pinnacle, so to speak, a, a pinnacle of Christianity or discipleship is this. Yeah. Or even worse, they might not feel that they're welcome even. Exactly. So how would you feel if you walked in my church on Sunday morning and I'm basically hanging a Trump banner off of the, and talking about you, you better bless, you know, you better vote for Donald Trump or you're not right with God because if you let Biden come in here, you're going to be a bunch of socialists. Well, immediately, okay, immediately without the context of the gospel and discipleship, that person, whoever that person is, is turned away. And you say, well, that's just going to happen. That's fine. There may be a place would happen, but here's the difference. Okay. This is so important, guys. The difference is this. If I'm preaching biblical truth and it cuts somebody and makes them not want to come back, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if I'm preaching this, not even sure if it's biblical truth, and I do that, I've just literally offended somebody unnecessarily because I'm actually not even preaching something that's in the Bible. <laughs> just like if I was on a Sunday morning, some gay who started preaching on women can't wear you know, skirts on Sunday morning at my church, I'd, I'd fall over and have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. You say that's because you're a compromiser. No, 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 it's not. It's because I'm not willing to let some goofball preach in my church something that's not even in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. And here's here's the fourth thing, Aaron. This is just what kills me. These guys, most of them, are preaching in an echo chamber. Yes. Well, good night, everybody listening. What do you think is going to happen if I preach on abortion in my church? People are going to be shouting, swinging from the rafters, and, and all I'm doing is rallying the base. It'd be like me going to a Trump rally. Mm-hmm. Okay? So do I get some validation from my base by preaching this? Who in the world in the normal Baptist church isn't already voting for Donald Trump, doesn't already believe in, you know, anti, uh, particularly in some of these very strict independent Baptist churches, yeah. well, that's all they ever hear about. So so the, the, that's the fourth problem with preaching like this. Is that your preacher's in an echo chamber? How is that even valuable? It's like a guy gets all worked up on Twitter about it. We should be against the board. Well, who's following you on Twitter? Yeah, exactly. 
everybody that already believes the exact same thing that you do. So that was my introduction, Aaron. Let's work through some of these comments and let's just try to deal with this uh, one one by one. What were some of the comments you saw on this uh, post? Yeah, so I wrote down a few of them. Uh, There were some interesting ones. I think some of them were a little bit distracting. Uh, There's one guy said, well, which topics are taboo? I guess he took... He took those three issues that you that you um, that you brought up, and he broadened the scope of your tweet to include these more political or social issues. So obviously, we know that's not that's not what you were getting at in your original tweet, right? Of course, it wasn't. I mean, the point, you know, this was a what about social justice, racism, domestic abuse, abortion, human trafficking, corruption? What I would say to this person is this: all of those things are squarely dealt with in the Bible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not even political; mm-hmm. it's just biblical. Now, the other things I mentioned are political, not necessarily biblical. So it's like comparing apples to oranges here. So, of course, in the normal exposition of Scripture, domestic abuse, racism, social justice, abortion, all those things are going to come up because when you're teaching the Bible, the Bible addresses those issues. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's another response I saw here. Um, I'm skipping down. He says, I completely agree that Christ is the answer. I ask, though, if issues like liberty, socialism, religious freedom are ever to be addressed by pastors behind the pulpit. So the question is, or should you never, ever, ever, or is there a place maybe where a truth would apply to an issue like socialism or religion? I'm just going to say this, and not everybody's going to like this. If it's not clearly taught in the Bible, there's no place for it in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. No place. There might be a place for you in a political arena. You might want to go volunteer for the Trump campaign. You might want to go join Awake America or some other venue and spread the word. And that's fine. We need that. But it's no place in the church. And answer the question respectfully. If it's not in the Bible, I have no business preaching it. So basically, you would take the text, you would preach the Bible, and then that, your understanding, uh, when you walk out of the church building, your understanding of what you just preached ought to inform your political decisions. Absolutely. You shouldn't preach your political decisions from the pulpit. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, truly a follower, I mean, we're getting ready to have a session here tonight at church. The session is, what does the gospel impact on your money? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't have to stand up every week and tell people to give, 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 give. I'm supposed to be teaching you that you're to be a follower of Jesus. He is the Lord of your life. You are a steward of all that he's given you. Mm-hmm. You should be asking this question, what does Jesus think, feel, and how would Jesus act about me and my money? Mm-hmm. Okay, same thing is true politically. If I'm a real Christian, I should be saying, I am a loyal follower of Jesus Christ. I should be learning that at church. Yeah. Then I take that onto the street and live it out in the street. How should I vote? Well, for me, I'm going to vote for somebody that's pro-life. I'm going to vote for somebody who's pro-traditional marriage and who's pro-freedom of religion because those things are important to me. They're not, some of them are important to me because they're biblical issues. Some of them are important to me because I'm a citizen and I have an opinion on political identity, mm-hmm. all of which should be informed by my relationship with Christ. Right. And that's who we should be preaching in the pulpit yeah. is Christ. Yeah, that's good. Um Here's another interesting comment. He says this, what about pastors during the revolution who led in this? So uh, Peter Mullenberg, I guess, preached to his congregation in 1776 out of Ecclesiastes 3 and led 300 men from the church to become the 8th Virginia Brigade. Um, So they were known as the Black Road Regiment. So our freedom today is a credit to those preachers is what he's saying. So what's your response? Yeah, my response is simply this. If you think that the goal of your ministry is to recruit military, then it's a win. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if your goal is to magnify Christ and spread the gospel, then that story is inconsequential to the conversation. Uh, you didn't argue, and, and I, we already alluded to this, but we couldn't argue that if England did not champion those same things after the revolution. 
uh, we already mentioned William Carey and David Livingston. There was no disconnection between what was going on in England and America as it relates to the propagation of the gospel. So what did it actually matter? The very fact is, Aaron, some would even argue, if you want to be edgy, and I'm not saying I even agree with this, I'm just mentioning it, that you could argue that the American Revolution was unbiblical because they were supposed to obey the government. So now, again, I don't believe that. I'm, I'm going to get torn up for that. <laughs> Is everybody good here? I don't believe what I just said. I'm just saying that an argument could be made there. They did not honor the king. They they did not follow what they were supposed to do. They they essentially revolted against the government. Now, now I don't take that position. I'm just giving you some alternative. Mm-hmm. Just because a church in history stirred up a militia that was... Uh, critical to the Revolution War, whatever it was, doesn't mean that that church was fitting its actual purpose in preaching the gospel. So I would just say I, the illustration's cool. I'll, I'll push back on this. Um, C.T. Studd left his family for 20 years to be a missionary in Africa yeah. because of the rigors of missionary life. Did that make it right? Bad idea. I think he was wrong. Yeah. So just because he did it doesn't mean that that stands as an ultimate example of what we should do. Yeah. I think that's where I would leave that. Yeah. Uh, I think in summary, then, um, a lot of these comments are kind of repeating the same thing. But I like what the one you mentioned earlier. America is, is morally bankrupt, but Christ can make us free. Religious freedom is under attack, but Christ can make us free. Socialism hinders the gospel, but Christ can make us free. If you're going to preach the answer, you must preach the problem. And, and hit, this is what's interesting, too. I'm like, I'm looking at this, and I'm going, you must preach the problem. Okay, but the problem isn't religious freedom is under attack. The problem is not whether we live in a socialistic or a free capital society. And is the problem is not whether or not our surroundings or our society is morally bankrupt. The problem is, sir, your heart, the one you're the one sitting in the pew and your heart is a sea football ball things desperately wicked. That should be the problem being preached by the person in the pulpit. Yeah, we call that word, Chan, sin. Yeah. (laughs) Sin is the problem, Christ is the cure. Yep. If the problem was political, God would have sent a politician. If the problem was education, God would have sent an educator. He sent a savior because the problem is sin. Mm -hmm. Sir, I respectfully disagree. America's moral bankruptcy is not the problem. America is morally bankrupt because of sin, and Jesus is the only answer. And I want to end with this, Aaron, because I think this is an interesting analogy. I, just, I came up with this today as I was thinking about this. This subject of race is so tough, man. It's so sad that people actually are still racist. It's stupid, and it's unbiblical. It's anti-gospel. But the thing is, the answer to racism is not going to be found in the political climate. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. Who was the last president of the United States? Yeah, Barack Obama. Okay, was he white or black? Black. <laughs> okay, who is the leading, who is the vice presidential candidate for the Democratic Party right now? A black woman, Kamala Harris. A black yeah. woman named Kamala Harris. I would argue every area of life, whether it's sports, whether every venue, the doors through the civil rights movement, which I am so thankful for, mm-hmm. that brought equality and voting in the workplace and Politics in every area made the level, made the playing field level. But here we are today. Still, people killing George Floyd, still people in the Ku Klux Klan and all these other stupid things. There's still a, a, a politically bent Black Lives Matters movement that's just as racist as any white supremacy movement there is. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the problem? Well, you know, Mr. Preacher here, the problem is not religious freedom under attack. Yeah. They are free. They can be involved in any area of the world they want to be involved with. The problem is, 
I cannot make you non-racist until your heart is changed because being racist is a sin problem. Mm -hmm. And only until Christ cleanses your heart and you begin to be a follower of him, you'll never be anti-racist. Absolutely. Now, I'd be open to some more discussion on this. I'll go ahead and issue out like I've issued out on the King James thing. If you want to come on and talk about this, you just send me a message. I look forward to hearing from you. But Aaron, thanks for joining me today. And to all of us that listen to you, I do hope and pray that this year, in this election year, that we will have um, continued freedom of uh, speech, mm-hmm. continued freedom of religion, continued capitalism, and so on and so forth. And I make no bones about it. I'm voting for Donald Trump, and I hope he wins. And I love Mike Pence, and I am absolutely, at least in this sense, a Republican as it relates to this current election and these issues today. So don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that... Um, the pulpit is not the place where this takes place. Aaron, I'm giving you last word. One last question here. Yep. For for those of the listeners that may have preached on religious freedom or you may have preached on patriotism or uh, free speech or things like that, what are you going to preach on when those things are gone? That's a great question. Hey, let me give you a statement from John MacArthur. It just popped in my head. Mm-hmm. Okay. John MacArthur said this, I will never preach something that I could not preach anywhere in the world. Yes. Your message of patriotism of waving the American flag, freedom of speech, you couldn't even use it in China. Mm-hmm. So it's not a biblical message. If you can't preach it anywhere in the world, you should never preach it anywhere in the world. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes on briansams.com and subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts.